the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Okay, dokie. Hey, part of people. I'm just kidding. I'm such a homebody. I shouldn't even really make that joke. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to my brand spanking new podcast. This is Morgan Zeggers, and I've decided to call this podcast Some Sanity with Morgan Zeggers because, you guys, I feel like I'm going crazy when I see what is happening in the news today. And I figured, why not provide myself some sanity and hopefully spark some conversations with people who are in the same boat as me and just kind of want to live life and not be affected by some tyrannical authoritarian government? No biggie. (laughs) You would think that that's not crazy, but apparently it is. I figured I would start out, if you're listening to this first episode, you probably know who I am, but... I should probably declare some of my values so that you can get a better understanding of what you're about to listen to and what you can get from this podcast. Let's get started. Okay, so what do I believe in? I believe in classical liberalism. I believe in capitalism. I believe in empowering women, but I also believe you can't empower women by erasing their femininity and stripping them of that femininity. I believe... Education is the true force that will save us from this perpetual socialist takeover that we are probably going to experience one day, unfortunately, because like Frederick Douglass said in one of my favorite quotes, I might be paraphrasing, I can't remember the exact words, but he basically said that education makes you incapable of being a slave because you're too smart. They can't fool you. They can't trick you. Why do you think that they censor the people of China so much from going on the internet and Googling basic information? Because if they probably knew the truth, they would revolt and try and get out of that oppressive system. Duh. Um, Okay, what else? I believe, oh, this is a good one. I believe, I don't know about you, that the best way to fight commies in 2021 is to work hard in your job and in your life. Work hard at your passion. Be grounded in values. Find the love of your life. Get married to them, not because society tells you to and you feel pressured, but do it because you want to have that solid lifelong ally by your side and you believe in that concept of partnership. And then once you do that, have a lot of babies with that person, with your partner. And give those babies the raising and the support that they need to become contributing members of society. True American patriots. I cannot wait to have babies one day and make little American patriots out of them. I am so excited, and I'll tell you what, they're definitely not going to public school. (laughs) Okay, um, I think out of that, to sum that up, you guys, I truly believe that you are free as a, a person, as an individual, when you can take care of yourself. And when you don't have to rely on anyone else, any higher power, any government to survive, to live, when you can take care of yourself and your family, when you have control and power over your own life and your own well-being, you are truly free. And that is why you are not free under socialism, no matter how many times the left will tell you that. (laughs) So if I had to sum up this podcast that I'm going to get started and and my 
conservative values in general in one sentence. I would probably say something like, I believe that a strong economy builds strong individuals and strong individuals lead to strong families and strong families lead to strong communities. And in the end, strong communities lead to a strong country, period. That is, that is why I do the things I do, because I believe when we have a strong economy, when people are empowered to take care of themselves and have the tools they need to do so, they will not be oppressed. They cannot be oppressed. My favorite book quote is from The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, and she says, she's kind of talking about how you can take control over someone's mind, how people in general control others, and to do so, you really have to control the soul. And so she talks about eliminating people's sources of happiness, eliminating what makes them feel fulfilled and what keeps them happy in life. And one of my favorite quotes is, a happy man is a free man, and a happy man has no time and no use for you. I can get into that in another episode where I just I could talk about the lack of values our society is experiencing and how the left is pushing against the family and how they're pushing against religion and they're pushing pushing against children and all of that is creating a collectivist mindset in our country where we are no longer individuals and family units we are now just a person and number a part of the collective and that's why we look to government for satisfaction it's why we look to political movements and political activism for that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment in life. I mean, you can even look at that for like, what do young people on the left do on the weekends? They go rally, they go march, they post all that stuff on social media, whereas conservatives are like out fishing or out doing some sort of thing with their family and friends. Like That is the number one thing. Like when I was in high school and I would do, I was one of the only people my age that would be in the local community clubs. I was in the Republican committee. I door knocked and did all that stuff. And everybody who was older would say, Morgan, where are all your friends? And I would just say they're working or they're doing a weekend job or they're helping their family with something or they're at the lake. They're, they're just living their lives. And so that's that difference between conservatives and liberals. When you are truly unhappy and when you're told that you are a victim and that you must, you know, revolt against the system, you're going to spend your free time doing that because you're going to get a sense of fulfillment from that instead of relationships, family, friends, that kind of stuff. So I love talking about that topic, and I'm actually going to be speaking about it at CPAC. Um, right now I'm filming this a week before I'm going to put it out just because I'm about to hit the road and travel a little bit for some speaking stuff. But either way, next week on February 25th to February 28th, I'm going to be in Orlando for – CPAC 2021, and I'm going to be on the main stage on a panel talking about how the left's continuous war against the American family unit is really um, a telltale sign of the fact that they want to create a a society that lacks value, that lacks fulfillment, and in the end will support a collectivist socialist mindset. So that's that. I can't wait for CPAC, though. I'm pretty excited. can't believe it's already been a year. CPAC was like... What? It was uh, right before COVID. I mean, I remember doing interviews on the floor of CPAC, and they were all about how the big hype about COVID was overblown because communist China was telling us that it wasn't able to spread from person to person. Gee, look where that got us. Thanks, commie China. (laughs) But before I get into some of the topics I want to talk about in the episode, first of all, I hope that gave you guys a good summary of what you're going to be getting out of this podcast. So more of a wholesome family, individual oriented conservative view from a young Gen Z, or I think I'm like the first, first month of the year 
Gen Z started or I'm either the last month of the last year of millennials. Sometimes the timelines are a little different when you Google them. But I was born in December 1996, so I'm kind of right smack dab in the middle of those two generations. I guess I can claim both whenever I want to. But um, yeah, I hope that that gives you a good perspective on me. I, You'll kind of get this in, in different episodes. I'm not a very super political person. I'm more values driven. And for me, I just want everybody to be empowered and be free. And I want them to see that they don't have to rely on government to feel that way. So that's what you're going to get out of this podcast. I'll talk about current events. I'll talk about politics. I'm free to talk about culture and all the great things and whatever's going on in the world. Um, and other times I'll just focus more on requested topics. And so like building a family and thinking about family planning when you're 20 and in your, when you're in your 20s and what career planning looks like for conservative women. I mean, we get a lot of backlash for saying maybe I don't want to be a career woman. And so I hope that the more we have these conversations, you guys will feel free to have those more pro-family conversations in your own life and be more bold than your values. So pretty excited. Again, I feel like I'm just a basic kind of normal conservative girl, nothing crazy over here. But at the same time, I actually started this podcast because a couple weeks ago, maybe I got the notice from Facebook. And again, keep in mind, I don't post anything crazy. Like I'm kind of known for being more of a, a softer voice and, and not being somebody who's very attacky or controversial. And I got a notice from Facebook that if I don't stop my content, I'm going to be permanently removed from the platform and that they have already officially limited my engagement. So I have tens of thousands of followers on Facebook that I've worked really hard to gain and grow this anti-socialist pro-freedom community that I just love so much. And it's, it's really frustrating to know that you could put that much work in and they'll just rip it right out from under you and say, we're just going to stop you from being able to engage with your own actual audience. So that really sucked. And that encouraged me to want to find a more direct way to communicate with you guys. And hopefully I'll be able to transition into not just doing these kind of monologue style podcasts, but now that I'm hitting the road again and COVID's getting a little less bad and, <laughs> I'm getting invites to speeches and stuff. I would love to bring some podcast equipment with me in my suitcase and I'll pop it up and wherever I am, I will maybe have some guests from whatever event I'm at or whatever city I'm in. I'll try and reach out to my friends and luckily I have cool friends. I'm probably the less cool friend of, of my group, <laughs> but I really am so appreciative of, of having those great friends and I'll try and get them on the podcast later on. But in general, other housekeeping stuff, there's going to be a new episode of this show every Wednesday morning, so you can wake up and listen to it on your drive to work. Or if you're more of a visual person, I'm going to put a video version up on YouTube and some clips on Instagram. I've noticed that whenever I put clips of me like doing this kind of stuff or doing speeches on Instagram, it does 10 times better than any of my other content that's like more planned and more specifically made for Instagram and social media. It's kind of funny. Like whenever I just throw up a clip of a long, a longer speech, it just, you can see the insights and it's like sent to thousands of people. And I'm like, what the heck? Why do people think that's cool? But <laughs> I guess you guys like it. So I'm going to keep doing it and I'll do it more with this podcast. Um, if you do want the video version though, I'll just warn you like this background that I have, I'm just in my office. This is when I'm in San Antonio, Texas area where my apartment is. I hit the road quite a lot. And so don't get too used to this background. Like I said, I, I plan on just kind of bringing my podcast equipment with me. And whenever I'm able to do so on the road, I'll just whip it out and, and do that week's episode. So 
maybe things won't look as aesthetically pleasing with this cute little pink light behind me and all that stuff and my headphones and all that, but we'll see as we go. Thanks for being willing to grow with me. I should (laughs) preface it with that. Thank you in advance for being willing to grow with me and thanks for listening in the first place. I think, um, you guys are so sweet for doing so. And and this is really my most requested style of content that I've never done before. So I am super excited and thank you for requesting this so vivaciously. I appreciate it. (laughs) I also laugh a lot. So I just warning you. (laughs) Okay. So let's get into it. I figured, you know, at first I was like, oh, I'm going to do my first episode on socialism because I freaking love talking about socialism, Marxism, communism, history, all that jazz. But I could save all of those for different episodes and I, I don't know, I could just talk about them forever. And so I figured I would give you guys um, a better foresight into my life, into who I am, so that you can have a better understanding of of where I'm coming from on all of these issues. And you can probably see that I'm like not that cool. And so my goal is to not be a stranger with you guys. I think conservative politics, people seem so distant, you know, like you see their content, you see them go viral and, it, and it's so cool. And you like can tag them and stuff and hope that they reply. And I, I just never want to be a part of that. And so I would really love to just be close with everyone be friendly with everyone, and not be a stranger. So I am excited to do that, and I figured this first podcast I'll give you an explanation of how I ended up here, how I quit my job, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. I straight up did that to pursue this passion of mine, and I have not looked back since. It's been so fun, and I'll give you a little story into how I got here. So like I said, I don't want to be a stranger to you guys. I'm literally just one of you, and I hope my story of my kind of super average timeline of how I got here gives you a little courage to take those leaps of faith in life and show you as well that the path to do this is is quite possible. It's it's not easy, I'll tell you that, but at the same time, there is a way for you to forge your own path. It's not impossible, and I hope that I can show you that. Um, my my favorite saying when I talk about, you know, what I did with Yas and like giving my two weeks at my job and taking that risk of moving out of like a full-time salary job with a guaranteed income and all that stuff, it was really risky and it's definitely stressful. I mean, I run my own nonprofit and I do a lot of speeches and a lot of traveling. And my favorite quote that I've heard, I can't remember who said it first, but it's basically choosing to follow this career path and pursuing a dream instead of doing a nine to five or working for someone else. It's kind of like choosing to get punched in the face once a day, whereas working at that nine to five or working for someone else feels like you're being slowly waterboarded, especially if you know that you have a passion that you want to pursue. And it's all about what would you rather experience? And so I have to remind myself this a lot, but I chose to be punched in the face once a day. And whenever something happens, like I get an invoice from a lawyer or I find out I messed up something with the accounting sheet or whatever it is. And then it's a new mess that day that I have to put out a new fire that I've got to put out. I go, Oh, That's the punch in the face that I signed up for when I chose this lifestyle. So uh, it kind of helps me feel better. But it's like with every decision in life, you weigh the pros and cons. And I think a lot of people, when they go about the path that they chose, they experience those negative experiences that they literally knew they were going to experience because they looked at that pros and cons sheet before making the decision. 
and they still feel bad for themselves. They still wallow in their own pity when they experience the cons of their decision. And for me, I think it would benefit all of us if when we experienced the cons of our decision, when we, especially when we knew that we were going to experience them because of that decision that we made, it would just help us so much if we said, oh, I knew this was going to happen, and so I'm going to walk into this more confidently. I know I'm going to get out of it. I know that I'm going to get through this, walk through hell, right, and just keep going, don't look back. I signed up for this, and everything's going to be okay in the end. That has definitely helped me out along the way. But let's get started. Um, So like I said earlier, I'm in Texas. This is where my little podcast setup is. It's where my studio for Yas is. I have a bunch of new camera equipment for it. I worked really hard to be able to kind of fundraise and and pay for all the like fancy backdrops and stuff that we have for the organization now. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I am from upstate New York. And the story of how I got from upstate New York to Texas is a little insane. And it involves Jared. And uh, maybe I'll either have him on as a, a guest or maybe I'll just tell it myself first and then I'll have him on on another episode. But uh, that was kind of a wild experience of me saying, I'm going to move across the country. Oh, yeah. And COVID played a big deal into that. And my transition for this career to, like, really go full force in it also played a a role in it because I was, like, trapped in upstate New York and everything's still freaking shut down with COVID. So a lot of factors went into it, and it might look crazy on paper, but many months of decision-making and thinking and planning went into eventually me saying, screw it, I'm going to move in two weeks (laughs) because that's kind of what happened and I'll tell that story another day but let's close our eyes and imagine upstate New York it's snowy it's mountainous it's full of lakes it's full of pine trees and uh it's kind of like an apolitical place I mean as political as we get is hating Andrew Cuomo and now I mean especially with this nursing home drama oh lots of reasons to hate him right Well, I hated Andrew Cuomo before it was cool, and I'm talking back in high school, baby, like 2014. So my first political experience was going to, what was it? I was going to like a pumpkin patch with my friend Antonio for Rob Astorino, who was running against Andrew Cuomo in 2014 for governor of New York. I had no idea what the candidate even looked like, and I was with Antonio. It was my first ever political event, and like at the time it seemed super big, but really it's like maybe 50 people in a barn. And I'm like, oh, shaken. And Rob walks into the barn and everybody's shaking his hand and stuff. And I'm just like, do, 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 do. And I go, Antonio, who is that guy? And he was like, Morgan, that's, <laughs> that's the candidate. That's the guy running for governor. So I was quite aloof. Um, and I'm kind of thankful for that. I did not grow up in a, a family that pushed political values onto me. And that is such a key part of me coming to my own values and why I'm so thankful for my parents for doing that. My dad is a colonel in the military. He served on 9-11. He went right down after the towers were attacked because we're in upstate, and so it's like a three-and-a-half-hour drive. He was sent to the towers for that, and then um, he served in Iraq after that. And my mom is in healthcare; She's a physical therapist. And so they both bring their own unique perspectives, and they're both such hard workers. And they are conservative in their own right, but they never pushed politics onto me. The only thing that I can really remember in terms of any sort of political talk was just history, a love for the military, a love for America, America's values of classical liberalism, of individual rights, of the amazingness. 
I guess, is that a word? The amazing history of America, the fact that we have our troubles, we have had a lot of bad times, but we have gotten to this place. And in that lens of comparative history, we should be so thankful. And so one of my favorite channels growing up was the History Channel. I have seen a few questionable pieces from them on socialism that, oh my God, maybe I'll review them later, but I was not happy. Um, That's a different story though. In general, they have really great content. And this is a plug I love Drunk History, the show. I think it's on Comedy Central. So good, and I'm just really nerdy, so I think it's really entertaining. And, like, they'll do Drunk History on the First Ladies and all that stuff. And I don't even just love American history. I love um, especially, like, Winston Churchill. Clementine was his wife, and she was such a backbone for him and such a, a help in his work. And so many people don't know about her, but she was really a driving force being his uh support system. And I love those kind of stories. I love hearing about how the family unit worked together to have these massive worldwide achievements that sometimes only the man back then kind of got the recognition for. And that makes sense. I mean, they're like the actual politician, but so much more from the family side goes into somebody becoming a national and international figure. And so that's why I love Clementine's story. And she was like 23 when she met Winston Churchill, who was 35 So I just, they have such a cool story. Definitely look it up if you want to. But like I said, I love history. I'm from upstate New York, yada, yada. I went to school in upstate New York in public school. First of all, my child's never going to public school. I think I said that earlier. I say that often. I'll warn you. Um, uh, I didn't really have political views back then. And I remember the first, hmm, I guess, semi-political thing that I read or looked into, I read The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan. And I didn't know it was political. Like, I just thought, like, oh, it's empowering women. And at the time, I didn't see, like, feminazi or feminism or femininity, all of those different cubes that you see right now. I didn't see it from that lens. I just saw it as, oh, wow, like, back in the 1950s, women literally did nothing but sit in the house, cook the first meal, send the husband off to to work, and then get all dressed up and done up for him by the time he got back home from work so that he walked home or walked into the house and saw this beautiful done up woman with a beautiful meal on the table, kids all ready, all this stuff. And so it was literally that every single day for them. And that concept of like, wait, that was only a few decades ago and now we're here. We're like, my mom works a job. Every woman that I know works a job. We have just changed so much as a society in the last few years. And so it really opened my eyes, and I am a big um, believer in comparative history of saying, wow, that was normal back then, and we're here now. We have made so much progress. I'm so appreciative for that. Maybe there are some things that we have to fix, and we have to still you know, seek justice or seek progress in, in certain areas, but wow, we have come a long freaking way, and I am so thankful for that. And I, I even I know my great aunt would tell me how when she was – my age, she would look at her opportunities and it was either get married, become a secretary, become an airline hostess, or become a nurse. Those are your options. Or become a teacher. And so imagine like just a few decades ago, or I guess now it's like four or five decades ago because we're in freaking 2021, which is insane. Back then, again, not long ago, women would literally be given four or five options for their life. And it was boom, that, that is it. That's all you're getting. And I don't know. I'm just really thankful that we're all able to be in 2021 now. Like what an amazing time to be living. I, I, I think in general, we should just be really grateful for the opportunities that we have. Um, so 
that was kind of it for me. I read The Feminine Mystique, and at the time, I was also kind of like a little hippie. Like, I hate to say this because now I'm, I'm like really conservative, and this is super weird for me to admit, but I had this place near my high school in the woods by this park, and I would park, and then I would walk down to this trail in the woods and I would take my shoes off and I would wear like a flowy hippie style dress and I'm talking I should preface it you guys I would like take my shoes off at my high school and walk from the high school to the senior lot barefoot because I like believed I was one with nature and like barefoot you know close to the ground I don't even know what I I used to be like that which is kind of crazy I would walk barefoot drive barefoot park there walk into the woods barefoot sometimes because I was really pushing it wearing like a maxi hippie dress and then I had this little cove where it was like a pad of grass and mud and then by the creek there was this tree branch that would hang over the creek and I would go and sit and read on it and that was my little space and on top of that I had these like opal necklaces choker necklaces (laughs) from um the local hippie shop and at that local hippie shop this is where I'm a little embarrassed by this but again I was naive and ignorant I had no idea the politics of the time or of the past I had no idea what happened with Monica Lewinsky no idea what happened with the Clintons or Hillary Clinton or Benghazi or any of that and so as like a sophomore I am this little hippie child with opal stones to like bring good juju wrapped around my neck and I had these stickers of, of Hillary Clinton that I got from the hippie shop. And I just thought she was so cool. Like, I thought her style was so cool. You know, first lady, all this stuff. And I had these pictures of her and Bill Clinton in college. And I thought that was just the cutest little power couple. Again, I had no idea. No idea about any of it. And I remember my mom, she didn't want to be like, Morgan, you can't think like that. She never pushed that onto me. She just kind of looked at me and was like, that's nice. Um, okay. Okay. And I'm kind of thankful that she did because I came to the realization quite soon after. And what happened is Hillary Clinton, I think she was doing a book tour in Saratoga where I was, um, I'm from the area. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, Hillary Clinton, a a female leader, so inspiring is coming to town. I'm going to write her a letter and ask her to meet with me on this book tour. I hate having to admit this. I don't know why I'm telling you guys this, honestly, because it's kind of embarrassing that I thought that you could just write someone and and have the meeting set up. (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking, okay? Um, So I write her this whole letter about how I would love to meet her, and she's so inspiring and stuff. And that's when my mom was officially like, okay, Morgan, um, this has gone on long enough. Have you heard about Benghazi? And I was like, huh? Uh... No, what, what's that? And that's when I kind of started looking into it. I remember I discovered the Monica Lewinsky scandal and I discovered what happened with Benghazi, what happened with the State Department, the funds, the Clinton Foundation, everything. And I started to realize, wow, there is massive corruption. And so it's not that I was like, oh, now I'm Republican or now I hate the Democrats or anything like that. It's just that was my first experience of, wow, people are really corrupt. A lot has gone on that I have not been aware of and so that was kind of the end of my little I wouldn't even say liberal phase but just my like exploratory phase where I was like women empowerment and stuff uh, and I'm, I'm thankful for that lovely experience but other than that I never really had a very political experience in high school I was not like in the local high school republican club I don't even think we had one of those but 
I did get the senior superlative of being most likely to be a politician, but that's never going to happen, so (laughs) don't have to worry about that. Um, That being said, what happens when you go from being in a super apolitical area, again, other than the fact of hating Andrew Cuomo and being generally more conservative and kind of understanding that your state's really corrupt because that's what we're dealing with in upstate New York, um, For me, my real shock to my system came when I went to American University in Washington, D.C. for college. So my first experience at American was going to orientation. And (laughs) I'm I'm showing you guys how aloof I was at the time in terms of like woke politics and stuff. Uh, First of all, I remember we had diversity training and I did not know what a bigot was. I didn't know how to pronounce the word. I think I like saw it written on a piece of paper or something. And I just remember seeing B-I-G-O-T, bigot? What is that? So I'm like misogynist? I'm kind of a weirdo when it comes to pronunciation. So I was already like weird at that. Like when emojis came out, I'm dating dating myself right now to how old I am, but emojis came out and Snapchat came out when I was like a sophomore in high school. And I remember making my first Snapchat. Oh boy. Um, but I pronounced emoji as emoji. So it was kind of only natural that I pronounced bigot as bigot. (laughs) Why am I like this? Um, but I get to American. I'm like, what the heck is a bigot? (laughs) What is a misogynist? And of course, It was my first experience of the whole pronoun thing because in 2015, I graduated high school and that's when things were really picking up in this pronoun, LGBTQ, like we were adding all the the, the letters and stuff to the um, acronym. And I'm sitting at this orientation where we all had to like write our name on the paper. We had to write our major, our hometown, three facts about us, stuff like that. And one of the lines on... (laughs) the paper was pronoun. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck? Like, why would they ask me that? That's a little obvious. Like, and I'm thinking, are they asking me about like the word from English class? Like a, a pronoun? They, they wouldn't be asking me that. And so I just immediately was like, no, they, they're not asking me about that. Uh, what could it be? And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and eventually I just like kind of bring my phone over and I'm like, pronoun. Okay, Google. And what do you know? No other thing comes up other than she, her, he, his. And I'm like, no, that can't be right. And so I'm like peeking over to the guy next to me, the girl next to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're writing she and his. Did I miss something here? And I'm like, okay, well, as long as I don't look like stupid for writing she, hers, like that's fine. I just figured, you know, it would be kind of dumb for me to write that. I would look like an idiot if I actually wrote that. I must be missing something here. Nope. That's what we were supposed to write. And then that was my first experience where you have to like introduce yourself with your pronouns whenever you met someone new at that, that whole event. So that was definitely new for me. And so much happened at American. I'll probably do an episode on just like being a conservative on campus, but Um, I went to school, I got a major in communications law, economics and government or legal institutions, economics and government. It's called Clegg. And I'm not really a poli sci person. I don't want to be in campaign or like the campaign lifestyle. I just really, really wanted to be in veterans advocacy at the time. 
And so, yeah, it was pretty fun, and I graduated a year early because I did not have the moolah to pay for four years of American. So that was a really fun experience. And to kind of speed through all of that stuff and get to how I got to this point, my first job after college was at um, an advertising agency in Boston. And for me, it was nice at first. It was kind of nice to get out of the political bubble. It was nice to get out of DC. It was nice to move to a new city. I moved to Boston. I had never lived in an apartment before. It was my first apartment experience, all that stuff, like living in a city. It was just all new and I loved it at first. And after a few months, okay, first of all, in that field of work as a national media buyer, um, I was an assistant media buyer because I was like the lowest of the low, just out of college. And you are doing an insane amount of work. Like straight up for 40 hours a week, you are staring from one screen to another of Excel sheets, making sure that no number is wrong because it's all scheduling very expensive national TV commercials. And if you mess up, you can literally see how many thousands of dollars you just uh, wasted. And so it's very stressful. It's nonstop. And I used to not drink coffee. And at that job, I literally started drinking coffee every morning so that I would have the energy needed to just stay focused and stay staring from one screen to the next and not stop working. And what inspired me about the job was, okay, I really do love this concept of micro-targeting. I, I love this idea of figuring out who the audience is, what would they like, what kind of content do they want to see, what kind of message do they want to see, who in the specific audience should we be reaching with which kind of content. I loved that kind of conversation and that kind of planning, but it was so weird to do it for no uh, fulfilling, fulfilling purpose. And like I'm talking, I, I it's just companies. And so I, like think of like fast food companies, national fast food companies, national grass seed companies, all these, all these random things. Or we would work for like a TV network. We would help them schedule their commercials that would be promoting the shows that were coming out soon. So it's fun work. It's entertaining. It's you're always active in it. But for me, I just, as the months went on, I started to realize this is not something I can do for a long period of time in my life. First of all, because I feel so unfulfilled in the amount of work that I'm putting into it. You stay late at the office almost every night. I felt like I was there until 7 so many times a week. And then you get in and it feels like when you sit down at your desk in the morning at your little cubicle, it's like, oh my God, how am I already back here? Like, how did I go home and rush to make dinner and then then walk a half an hour back into the city just to get here again at 9 in the morning? And it's just this endless cycle. And so the 9 to 5 thing, I realized it's not for me. I also realized I don't feel fulfilled in this sense of work. I cannot make this a career. But I liked the concept of reaching people with a message in a really strategic way. Um, And second, or I guess and third, what really, as a conservative, traditional woman, what bothered me was just being around that kind of corporate culture opened my eyes to what women in the workplace go through and not in the sense of like the sexual harassment and stuff that's a whole other topic and I have been through some weird stuff with that and I'm happy to share it because I think it's important to share those stories so that when young women kind of follow in my path they don't feel so alone and feel shocked when they experience it and be like oh well why am I getting it if Morgan never had it? And if, if the girls ahead of her never had it, how come I'm the one alone in this? You're not alone. I'm happy to talk to anybody about this. Um, I'll just do it in another episode. I mean, I'm talking to you guys. It's freaking weird. Like one time I, uh, one time I wore a skirt to a political event that 
was above my knee. I'm not talking short at all. Like now I wear short skirts because I don't give a crap. But one time when I was way younger, so I think in college, I wore a skirt above the knee that was from like Macy's business section. So think of a business skirt that has a matching blazer on top. It's to your knee or so. I got called a whore because I did not wear a skirt that was two inches below the knee at least. So that's the kind of stuff where it's just insane. And that's a different topic. For me, at my first nine to five job, I was able to see older women who were maybe like late 20s, early 30s, or even late 30s who were having kids or had kids. They were experiencing this insane schedule of rushing to get your kids taken care of in the morning, rushing to get them to school or to the the daycare or to the nanny or just wherever they're going to be watched while you are at work for nine hours. And then rushing from the office to go get them and pick them up and try and give them a satisfying meal at the end of the day. But you're stuck in traffic and you're freaking complaining about it all the time because it just feels like you're never satisfying everyone. You're never reaching your goals and everything. And I could see it and I said, you know, maybe it's not going to lead to me being the president of some major corporation one day, but that's my choice. I want to be able to be a rock for my family. I want to be able to provide that sense of stability and keep the home in a really strong, strong way. And maybe that's going to mean me not having a nine to five in the future. And so my game plan started to be, what does my career look like if it's not going to be the traditional nine to five where I climb up the the corporate ladder, where I climb up the company ladder. And um, so I started to think about it. I didn't plan out like, oh, if I become a person in politics, I can have a freer schedule. That's not what it was. But I started to at least craft for myself because I'm really big into life planning into like five five-year, 10-year goals, I started to at least say, okay, this is not where I see myself ending up. This is more my area. Who are women that I know that are living this similar lifestyle and how can I kind of follow them on social media and how can I follow them in their career and see how they're handling it and how they're doing it. So I am really thankful that now I'm definitely leading a style of work and a style of career that is empowering me to live the life that I really wanted to achieve for myself by the time I was in my late 20s, early 30s, because I'm not there yet, but I definitely think I'm getting myself into that place more so than I was when I was working at that nine to five um, corporate job in Boston. So for me, that helped shape my dreams and ambitions and my career plans. Um, but what happened is as I'm seeing all of this micro-targeting for these advertising campaigns and as I'm seeing all of this go on at this company where we're just helping other companies sell products, I am also seeing at the same time AOC who had just been elected to Congress. And I'm seeing these new polls come out that say 70% of young Americans would currently vote for a socialist. I'm seeing that 58% of young people want socialism for the future of the country over capitalism. Some crazy numbers were coming out. Democratic socialism was completely normalized because of AOC. I mean, Bernie Sanders had brought it up in the 2016 campaign, and he really had that strong following, but it kind of dwindled off. And AOC is what really mainstreamed it and normalized the term in the mainstream media. So democratic socialism, seeking justice, you know, the usual leftist terms. And I was really concerned by that because I, I love history. And if you look at history, you guys, socialism has never worked. It's led to complete devastation. And I saw a lot of behavior by the American leftists 
that was mimicking the leftist behavior that we've seen when other socialist movements have come to power in the past. And the trends really troubled me. Um, And so I know this is like the introductory episode. I'll let you know I'm going to do an episode on the tactics of socialists and specifically the tactics that I saw when I was working at my private company saying, I've got to get into this. I've got to get into this brawl. I've got to get into this fight. I was so excited by it. And so I started crafting Young Americans Against Socialism. Uh, We had some handful of people that were kind of coming up with ideas for it. We made it a C3 because this isn't about politics. It's about uh, educating. It's about sharing philosophy and values. So rooted in capitalism and classical liberalism and American founding values. I love that concept. This isn't like a political thing. It is straight up educational, institutional, ideological. And I, I love that concept. And so from like spring, I started my job in January of 2019. And then by spring, I am freaking traveling all over the place, especially in the summer too, traveling all over, getting this ready, meeting potential donors, doing the first initial filming for YAS videos, Young Americans Against Socialism videos, interviewing the survivors. We went to Dallas, Miami, um, Virginia, and just met some of the coolest people. We went to D.C., And we got the initial footage to make the videos. And by August, my advisors were telling me, Morgan, we know you don't have a lot of money to your name, but our best suggestion right now is to say, the hell with it. I'm going to give my two weeks because I still had my full-time job. And so I'm managing all this travel. I'm managing all this production and the creation of the videos and the creation of the organization by literally just doing my nine-to-five in the middle of the day, getting back around seven or eight, and then spending the night drafting up the website language or approving certain things and materials and and getting the social media stuff ready, getting everything ready for the nonprofit, assuming that I was going to be doing it as a passion project on the side. And in August, when we were planning to launch, I think August 15th, beginning of August, I was told, Morgan, you got to take this seriously because if you're just doing this as a passion project on the side, people are going to say, oh, then we don't need to take this seriously either. And, oh, if this is just a nonchalant thing for you, then how serious is it really? And so to really make this statement for how crucial I thought this was and how important this was to me and to the future of the country, I had to take that leap of faith. And so I did not tell my parents, but uh, and keep in mind they were like three hours away in upstate New York. I would just kind of keep it a little hush-hush. I knew I was going to tell them. I just didn't have the courage to tell them at the time. I gave my two weeks, and luckily my... I was, nothing had been like secured yet. And so we hadn't launched or anything. I didn't know if this was going to flop or what. I gave my two weeks, and then I had two more weeks at work. And on the last day when I had everything packed up, it's my last day of work, I remember walking. I would walk from the financial district in Boston where the office was. I would walk over the bridge, over the Boston Harbor, where you have the Boston Tea Party site. And so it's so cool because whenever you walk over the bridge, you can hear like the little flutes playing, like the patriotic American Revolution songs. I loved it because I love history. And so I'm listening to that music. I'm walking back and I had my first interview and it was on Buck Sexton's radio or podcast. I can't remember what it is. I think it's his radio show. And that was my first ever interview. Probably not the best. I have not re-listened to it. (laughs) I don't really like to listen to old things for myself because I have made major progress and it's a little embarrassing to listen to the old stuff. But um, I went on Buck Sexton's show and then the next morning – is when I had the big first hit. 
and it was on Glenn Beck Radio. Thank you so much, Glenn Beck. I am so appreciative of you doing this because nothing had been launched yet. We were about to launch in a few days, and Glenn Beck had us on his radio show to say, we are launching Young Americans Against Socialism in a few days. Please consider supporting us. And at that time, I had never gotten like a donation for yes, but we had the little donation website up because we were three. And when I'm on this interview, I'm super nervous. I'm sitting at my apartment, my tiny little one-bedroom apartment in Boston. I'm sitting at the counter. My room is freaking a mess, by the way, because I was also in the process kind of moving some stuff around. And I had my phone next to me, and I had my microphone, and I'm doing it through my laptop. So I could see my phone, and I'm a few minutes into the Glenn Beck radio interview, literally just saying the basics, saying I plan to make educational videos in the fight against socialism to show my peers the truth about the danger of socialism. They need to know the truth. Stuff like that, and a very basic, we're going to launch soon, we would love your support. And as I'm doing the interview, my phone is just going... And vibrating so much because all of these little donations were coming in of like $5, $10, $25 a month. And these people were signing on to do monthly donations. And it was so overwhelming. We got... We got to $200 and I almost start crying because I am like so overwhelmed because I'm just like, I can't believe people would want to support this. I can't believe people believe in this. Just strangers listening to a young girl on the internet say, or on the radio say, I'm going to start this nonprofit. Please help me. It was just so overwhelming and we ended up fundraising a lot more than $200, but the $200 mark was like, oh my God, we brought money in. This is amazing. So um, that really was helpful for me because I was so paranoid about the fact that I did not have a job as of the day before. (laughs) And so I really wanted that to go well. Um, What happened next is the videos, once we started releasing them, the first one got like a million views in 24 hours. The next one got... uh, more and more and I think at the time the next week our best video got 8 million views and it was Ray Armas who windsurfed across the ocean from Cuba to the Florida Keys and he just has the craziest story he's so passionate and I love it so much Uh, we reshare it quite often on the ass page because it goes viral literally every time I think it's up to 25 million views at this point But he's just an amazing, sweet person, and he cares so much, and he's been through so much. So that video did so well. And at that time, we started getting more and more radio hits. I would do one almost every morning, and so not, you know, on the level of Glenn Beck, but eventually we started getting requests for more interviews. And so I remember being in a hotel in Washington, D.C., and a Fox News reporter called me for an interview, just for, like, print, or not print, but for an online article. And I did it, and I didn't think any real big deal of it because I was just doing so many at the time that I didn't really understand the gravity of it. And I got off the phone. I went out of the bathroom because I was just doing the interview in the hotel bathroom to get some peace and quiet. And when that article launched later, I think that week, I was at my parents' house only, I think we're like 10 days after the initial launch of the organization. And I'm at my parents' place we they had just got a new place on top of this mountain and so I'm in the barn and (laughs) this is a little silly but I got an email from Fox and Friends and they were asking if I could come to Fox and Friends in the morning drive down to New York City the three and a half hours and be there at like 5 30 or 6 or so for an interview about what we were doing at the organization and I dropped to my knees right on that 
dirt barn floor and I was just like floored. I was shocked. And the problem was, is that was a Sunday, folks. And I was visiting upstate New York from Boston and thinking, oh, I'm going back home. I'm going to the country. I don't need any dress up dresses. Like I have a ton of heels, a ton of sheath dresses, a ton of like professional wear for events and stuff. But I didn't bring any of that because I figured I'm not going to need any of that in upstate New York. And so I had nothing. And my, my family doesn't have any like political dresses and stuff. I'm not the same shoe size as anybody else. And so I have literally nothing. And it's now almost five o'clock on a Sunday. And they're asking if I could drive down to New York city that night and be there that morning for a 6am thing. And I am like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And so I, we run to the car, we pack everything. And first I head to Macy's. So I had to drive from upstate New York through Albany. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe the mall in Albany will be open and I could just run into Macy's and get a dress. What do you know? I run into Macy's right as it's freaking closing. And so things are like, we're panicked because if we don't make this, then I've got to find a place in New York city basically to find an outfit to wear. And so I, and running into Macy's they're closing as I run in and so I finally make it to the sheath aisle I grab a dress I don't have any shoes yet and the guy just looks at me the security person and he's like ma'am you need to leave and I'm like no no (laughs) okay oh please 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 no 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 and so yeah I got kicked out of the Macy's and I run back out to the parking lot I'm like we gotta go to New York City we gotta get something so I'm reaching out to my friend who lives in Westchester I'm trying to ask if she knows of anywhere and eventually we find out that the H&M in Times Square, where I have never been. I have never been to New York City, except for the time I was in like fifth grade and I don't remember it. I've never been to New York City, even though I'm from upstate New York. And I had to go to Times Square H&M to buy an outfit. And so at this point we arrive, it's 11 o'clock at night. And (laughs) this is so silly. It's like 11 o'clock at night. It closes at midnight and I find a dress and heels and I find an outfit and I just head to the place. Everything next happened in such a rush. I went to the place in the morning, Fox Studio, and I did the interview. Everything went really well. It was only five minutes. Katie Pavlich, who I have such, not a girl crush but such great admiration for she ended up being the person who was guest hosting on Fox and Friends and so I'm already super amped up I'm super nervous as well and I'm getting ready and it's like 4 30 and I get the I see the tweet from Katie Pavlich that said that she would be guest hosting Fox and Friends that morning and I just like again want to throw up I'm like oh my gosh why why is this happening to me? I'm so nervous. And so I got to meet Katie Pavlich. It was the best thing ever. It was literally, it happened in five minutes, the interview and I was done. And so it just, the whole thing was in such a rush. And what's so funny is I went back to my hotel that night. Um, I had, I think one meeting and I had some food delivered to my hotel room because I had one more meeting that night. So I had to stay the night and I had food delivered to my hotel room. It was sushi. And I think I was just so worked up from everything in the past 24 hours that happened that I didn't get sick or get nervous or anything before I actually just had my food delivered ate sushi which was probably not a good idea to eat delivery sushi but I ate that and I ended up throwing up that night and I think my body was just so exhausted and tired with me (laughs) for being a psychopath for the last 24 hours Um, but that's really what got it going and once I was on Fox and Friends we started getting our biggest connections I started getting invited to speeches so I got to go to the National Tea Party 
uh, 10th anniversary in Washington, D.C. I spoke right in front of the Capitol, I think a week after that or so. And then I went to New Orleans for the Council for National Policy event. And from there, it just went on. And by March, right before COVID started, I spoke on the main stage of CPAC. And now we're already a year into the COVID mess. And I am going back to CPAC 2021 to speak again. And it's just been a whirlwind. And I'm really appreciative of that. But I, I'll get into more detail of like certain parts of that, I guess, one day in the future. But that's kind of the synopsis of what the heck happened over the first year of Young Americans Against Socialism. Just a lot of freak opportunities that I just said, yes, do it. I'll, I'll be there. Or just situations where one small opportunity led to a medium-sized opportunity led to a big one. And for everyone along the way that's been so supportive and invited me to be a speaker, even though I was kind of new at the time and now I'm definitely more seasoned, I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm just very thankful. So you guys, like, my message there to you is look how strange and, and normal it was of this transition of I went from nine to five assistant media buyer to going home at night from my nine to five to plan for the development of this for almost a year and then launching it and just saying, let's freaking do this and really going, I guess the best saying is balls to the wall. <laughs> I went balls to the wall on this and um, it really paid off. It's really been a blessing because now, like I said, I get to develop a career that's more flexible for the lifestyle that I want in terms of being able to be there for my family and raise um, my children with more flexibility and opportunity to be there and, and to serve them and to help them become the best little patriots that they can be. So I'm really thankful for that. And that's, if anything, that's what I'm most um, grateful for. But let's see. Oh, God. One more story, and then I'll answer some questions and kind of go over some current events really quick. Actually, no, I don't really have much time. Um, I'll do that stuff later. We'll go over current events next week. But let's... Let's see. Let's answer just a couple questions really quick. Um, somebody asked, is it worth answering the trolls? Um, I usually, I go back and forth on this. Like, I don't ever think it's going to be a smart use of my time or anyone's time to actually debate or argue with a true socialist or communist. So somebody who actually wants to seize the means of production, a true leftist who idolizes the leftists of the past, the dictators of the past. There are people out there that, I mean, I have tons that just comment on my crap. They give me death threats. They send, they say they're going to send me to the gulag, to the guillotine, all that stuff. I'm never going to try and talk with those people and be like, hey, want to debate me about capitalism? I think I could change your mind. It's such a waste of time. My priority and what I think your priority should be in the fight against socialism and in you know the public square of social media should be reaching the people who are in the middle and who want to help others and want to find solutions for our problems and are probably going to fall for the lies of the left if the left gets to them first. Stop wasting your time with the socialists and communists of the internet and instead focus on getting the people in the middle, leaning right, leaning left, that are looking for a source for solutions. And right now, they probably are leaning more towards people like AOC, and we need to show them that we have just as compassionate ideas and solutions to solve these problems. So 
Other than that, though, unless you're like targeting people who you can actually change the mind of and, and are good for the future of the movement, I would say if you get like death threats and stuff, it's so fun to make that into content. If they're attacking you, if they are people who have like pro women or believe all women in their bio, and then they're telling you that you're a CUNT and that you're ugly and that you're just a talking head for the GOP and for the men in your life, that is so something that you should just turn into fun content and like totally share it, totally reply to that. And my favorite, um, person who talks about this is Andrew Breitbart. Uh, if you read Righteous Indignation, he believes in walking toward the fire, walking into the fire, walking through it, really combating these people and holding them accountable for claiming that they're the tolerant and, and, uh, loving party when in reality, they are some of the most hateful people I've ever met. Um, last question, will socialism come in a violent overthrow? Someone asked this on Instagram. No, socialism is going to, enter America basically like it did in Venezuela, where once they democratically elected socialist candidates, they started implementing socialist policies, taking over control of private industries. And what you're going to see is a slow decay of our American way of life, of our American capitalist economy, and of the rights that we have thanks to the combination of capitalism and classical liberalism. We're going to lose our personal, economic, and financial independence that we are able to enjoy now. So it's going to be a slow decay of our system. It's going to be very sad and that's why it's going to take a while to fight back but it's there's still so much opportunity it's not going to be some violent bloody civil war where the socialists are trying to like take over washington um so this really is ideological and values um driven and that's why we have a lot of opportunity uh but you guys, I'm going to close this up because we're reaching about an hour. Thank you so much for listening and for joining me in this little conversation. I hope it gave you a better perspective of where I'm coming from in this and gives you a better understanding of my values as we move forward in this podcast and in future episodes. Uh, if you want, please subscribe to this. Please follow my Instagram page, my social media handles, uh, and leave a five-star review on the podcast because this is done in my free time. This is free for you to listen to and really the the best way you can help support this and keep it going is just by with engaging with the content and reviewing the content and um, giving me lots of comments and support online because that's what it takes to survive on these platforms. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions that you want me to answer at the end of future episodes, submit them to some sanity at gmail.com. Uh, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Next week I'll be filming probably uh, around CPAC or maybe in my CPAC hotel. Who knows what I'll be doing, but I will see you there. Thank you so much for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.